to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast, a weekly discussion about the National Hockey League's Boston Bruins, affiliated minor teams, and prospects of tomorrow's stars. Moore fights to keep it in, does, has it in the corner to Sanderson, back in front door, shot, scores! Ray Bork. Score! Ray Bork from the face-off circle to the right of Reggie Lindland. Fired it down and Whitmore blew it. He bounces down to Bergeron. He takes the space, pulling it wide to the right of Tatar. The snapshot over the Rossi gets loose and Bergeron scores. There are three ways you can support the show. We are available on Apple iTunes, SoundCloud.com, and on TheHockeyWriters.com, located in the podcast channel of the website. Now here's your hosts, Mark Allred and Rob Tomlin. Hello, Bruins fans, and welcome back for the 23rd episode of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. This is the Craig Janney edition. After another two-week break, we're back talking everything Bruins, but first I would like to welcome back host Rob Tomlin to the show. Rob, what's up, buddy? Uh, I am very good. How are you? I'm good. You sound like you're tired. Yeah, I, I am today. <laughs> uh, just finished the game and then come back home to do the podcast. So, yeah, very tired. But it's always good to speak about the Bruins. So, can't wait to hear some more Bruins stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, like I said, we, we've been off for two weeks, but I, I wanted to ask you how your birthday was because... Uh, that was Jimmy VC day, and um, I didn't have a chance to talk to you. So, hope everything was well. Yeah, everything went perfect. It was good. Good. Chilled out. I uh, worked, but came home and chilled out for the rest of the day. So it was, it was always good. Excellent. Glad to hear it, man. Um, I just want to a real quick thing. We uh, we passed the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast recently passed uh, two thousand listens. And I, I really want to uh, just just uh, explain a little bit of gratitude, um, talk a little gratitude, I mean, uh, about how happy we are at this accomplishment. And to give thanks to, number one, the, all the supporters that listen to the show, uh, that, that is huge. You guys are, are constantly, we're constantly getting more listens every week, probably an average of 200 a week. And it's, it's awesome. But I'd like to uh, thank the people at SoundCloud.com for providing a, a platform. Um, Apple iTunes, of course, and the awesome people um, at thehockeywriters.com that have really hooked us up on their platform to um, open up a, a huge fan base to us, which uh, uh, the whole website attracts uh, two to three million visitors a month, and we've we've really hit some really good numbers since we started day one with these guys. So I want to thank all those guys that are involved, um, and ready to rock another show with uh you know the dog days of summer going on but i'm really excited about this um we have a special guest and he uh he writes for the hockeywriters.com and he also writes for the causewaycrowd.com and i'm a huge fan of this gentleman uh brandon share cohen welcome to the show hey thanks for having me awesome i'm really excited to have you um like i said you know I, i've read your stuff i i love your opinions and and yeah, I look forward to hear what you uh, 
you know any any opinions or thoughts you have on the bees so yeah i'm glad to it. be here hope i can give some insight for you guys right all right so i, I gotta start off with we haven't talked about it because we have been on a two-week break but uh, i i want to get back to jimmy vc um in my opinion, I was on the fence with him coming to Boston, and not. yes, he's a, um, I believe he's a good asset up front, um, but on the other side, I think he'd be a real pain in the neck to uh, deal with after his two-year entry-level deal. So kind of happy that he went to the Rangers and kind of, you know, not happy, but um, since since that happened and all the news and he, the Rangers signed him, uh, I, I'm curious, Rob, to get your thoughts on on everything that's going on because we've we've actually talked about this a long time leading up to the August 15th day, which was your birthday recently, and I, I'd like to get your thoughts. Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy that he didn't come to the Bruins. I think he takes a roster spot from one of the guys who have worked the way up. I think it's time to give Griffith a shot and we bring in VZ and he wants to play top six minutes and if he did that that would take away time from some of our younger guys so I'm, I'm kind of happy I know he could have been a stud and he could have been a great player but at the same time he didn't want to play in Nashville so he didn't play in Nashville and if he came here and didn't want to play here then he'd just leave so uh, I'm happy with the way things went. Nice. Brandon, how about your thoughts? Um, I'm going to be a little contrary here, but I think uh, he would have been a great addition. I was actually really hoping he would have signed with Boston. Uh, just having seen him at Harvard, seeing the numbers he put up, and just the way he played the game, I think it would have been a really good piece uh, to add, especially if you put him next to like David Krejci. He, uh, he would have been solid, but I agree with what you guys are saying. He... Uh, he obviously didn't handle situation the situation as well as he could have with Nashville. I think he uh, he had every right to not side with Nashville, but I think he should have made yeah. his intentions a little more clear and sooner. But uh, yeah, I don't think he's really an issue in terms of uh, attitude. I don't think he would have just not played, but he's definitely yeah. uh, there's definitely a history now, at least a notable one that the media has made out where maybe he's not the uh, you know the stud that he could that people think he is based on the hype about him. But uh, he's, a, he's a really solid player, just watching him play. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got a really good like hockey IQ, the way he plays the game. And I, I do like the way he plays. It was more... It's kind of the uncertainty of whether he is a top six NHL forward to start. Oh, I agree. And then, yeah, and then you look at how the Nashville thing went down. You gotta kind of keep that in the back of your head in case when it gets to contract signing time, he's going into free agency. Is he gonna do the same thing and just refuse to sign and go straight to free agency? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it, there's always it's, uh, it's fun. Of oh yeah, and, well, and for me, uh, and and the 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 Ranger signing was very interesting because if you look at their 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 cap situation, um, when when his cap friendly uh, ELC deal that's entry level contract um, is over you know there's going to be a cap casualty on that New York Rangers team and I I have a feeling it's going to be a fan favorite to make room for him and that's one of the reasons why I'm, kind of, I'm very happy that he's not coming to Boston because 
the Bruins are, are constantly a, uh, a ceiling team. And I, I, as I said in the other podcast, uh, if you want to win in the NHL, you gotta you got to pay. You don't see any of these guys that have uh, any teams that have 20 or $15 million in cap space uh, anywhere near a playoff position or a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, and if you want to win, you have to get to that ceiling. So I, 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 I kind of see a Johnny Boychuk situation happen in New York in the next two years. Well, what surprised yeah, me the most? Sorry, go ahead, Rob. Uh, I, I was just going to say it, it seems like Rick Nash has been rumored to go out of New York for so long that you know that cap's coming off the table in the next two years mm-hmm. so uh, I think it's it's not really that big a deal for them cap wise because they know they can move Rick Nash and they'll just take a small part back for him so uh, I think Rangers did the right thing on it they know they can afford him they know they've got room to fit him in straight away so makes sense for them well, even when you look when you look at the Rangers depth chart, uh, their left wing is they have what Rick Nash, who you said they might be trying to move, Chris Kreider, who they they're very high on, obviously. Uh, J T. Miller is a natural left wing, isn't he? Yes, I uh, yeah, but he can Michael. play center, can't he? Right, but then they also have Stepan Zibanejad and Hayes, <laughs> so there's no room for him there. And then you got uh, Grabner, so you put VZ in there. I mean, if you get rid of Nash, you can slot. VC in there somewhere, but you've already got two top six options with Kreider and Miller. Yeah. So it's VC now with third liner. Well, oof. I don't. It it depends whether they get rid of Rick Nash by the start of the season, I guess. Right. Or do they move Rick Nash on to the right side? Yeah, I guess and they then, have options. Because yeah. I know Rick Nash has played on the right side before, but it's one of them. But. Like, this is the thing we've been doing with the Bruins lineup all off-season. He's mm-hmm. trying to work out where guys are going to fit in and how the team flips around. And There's only so much team flipping you can do before your brain kind of fizzles out and pops. So, right. Yeah, it's, it's fun to play RNG or GM, but uh, oh, yeah. there's only so much you can do before you're like, wait, where is this guy playing now? And what did I put yeah. this guy in? And, yeah. Confuse yourself by the end of it. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Plus, there's always a salary cap. <laughs> Got to consider. So, eh, that's that's you know that's pretty much what I expected from from you both on the uh, on the VC thing. There was uh, pros and cons on it, but uh, it it's going to remain to be seen what happens when the se- upcoming season starts and and how he fits and where he where he goes. But uh, you know, speaking of forward progress, movement, and the upcoming season. Um, I'd like to get both of your opinions on where you see this team, um, evaluate this team with the minimal moves they made. I know they brought in Bacchus, which is a, a, I believe it's a huge move, not only on the ice, but the locker room. Uh, I think Bacchus is a, a, the type of player that can play the game, but can also be a, a very powerful leader in there. And uh, please, if you have time, touch on the defense and the lack of moves on the defense and the belief that this team can still go forward with the original seven guys that failed in the past two seasons. And Rob, do you want to start with this, or do you want me to give my two cents? Uh, well, I'll, I'll quickly touch on the defensive part of, part of it that you said. And I think this defense is going to look, look a lot different than they did last year. 
mm-hmm. because you're going to see guys moved around the lineup. Like I can see Kevin Miller getting a bit more time than he did. Seeing out of the three right-handed defensemen that we had, he looked the sturdier of the three. So I could see him playing alongside Chara for the start of the season, and then seeing probably Tory Krug uh, with Adam McQuaid on the second pairing, just as that, because they're a regular D pair now. They they tend to spend most of the time together, so they know what each other are doing, and then. Uh, Tory Krug's turning himself into a bit of a bulldog player as well. He's been packing muscle on for the past two seasons, and you can see him throwing the body around a bit last season. So I think he'll be slightly different. And then, uh, and then the bottom pairing, you're gonna, you're probably gonna see Colin Miller get a lot of ice time this year, uh, signing that one-way deal as well. And then you've got John Michael Lyles and Joe Morrow. So it's they're trying to build that transition D that can move out well and break, maybe break out passes or carry the puck but they're also having to do that with an aging D core that they've started to get rid of guys but there's still more needs to go so but if you look at it cap wise our, our defence doesn't really take up that much cap right with I think the exception it... <clears throat> of Chara Chara takes up the majority of the D cores cap, so oh. yeah, it takes up uh, just over 21 million. You take out the seven million from Chara, you're left at 14 million for six players. Yeah, it's not the worst in the world. And there's definitely room to improve once a guy like Chara retires. Yeah, and then you've got like the two contracts with McQuaid and Miller. I mean, I'm sure one of those is moved within the next few years. Then again, they seem very high on both of those players. They just gave the extension to Miller, and McQuaid got his last year. But they also signed Lyles to just a one-year deal, right? So that could be yeah. just a transition contract. Get the team a little more comfortable with that. Maybe have his veteran experience, have his uh, his leadership qualities in the locker room, help the young guys like Colin Miller and Joe Morrow out. Then in a year, that two millions off the books. Yeah, yeah I, be- I can I can see like Colin Miller and Joe Morrow splitting the season. I'm playing with Lyles because he's he's a good veteran to play alongside because he's he's quite calm in his own end and and he can, can play both sides yeah and he can just was it the second game that came in after the deadline and he made that pass up the ice for the breakaway goal like that was pure class he just took the puck away turned looked up the ice saw the breaking man and yeah I know the player you're talking about pass. And it immediately yeah. made me happy about the trade because yeah. he's exactly what you need in that lineup. You're listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. You can catch our show on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel, available at thehockeywriters.com. Deal bringing him in changed the entire de- decor and how they played because he kind of quarterbacked him a bit. And you've you then got like more offensive threats, that's the thing I like about it having a guy like Lyles on before that you only had Tory Krug who was really an offensive threat the right. rest of them are kind of more stay at home demon, so when you add another offensive threat then coaches have to start thinking, right I've got to have this line out to deal with this person, and this line out to deal with that, so it changes how teams play against you, 
and they know that there's depth throughout the lineup instead of just like your top two pairs. So yeah, I think definitely. it's good. Yeah, it were, it's definitely a good signing, re-signing him to come back this year. Yeah, I and think that was probably the best thing. Yeah, I think when you look at the forwards, um, I guess maybe just projecting lines or I guess some pairings real quick. You obviously got your top line of uh, Marchand and Bergeron. That's that's your clear number one line. Uh, that right wing spot, we still don't know who's going to play there. Uh, are they going to try Jimmy Hayes back up there? Are they going to put Ryan Spooner in that spot? Uh, I mean, they said they want David Backus to play center. He's starting the year uh, at center just because of the crazy injury, obviously. But yeah. then do they move Backus up to the, uh, the top line right wing spot or do they move into the third line center? I'm guessing that depends on statistics from the first, what, 10 games while Krejci's off. Right. I assume so they're going to get Pasternak. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, If well, if he plays good at centre, why would you move him? That's my kind of thing. Like, when you see a player play good somewhere. Like, Ryan Spooner played okay at right wing at first when he was playing there, and they chose not to move him, and then his stats started to go down so they moved him back to his natural position and that's the kind of way I like to see it if if a guy's hot keep him where he was hot instead of moving him up the line up like Jackie Bradley Jr. in the ninth hole yeah <laughs> <laughs> just you just gotta like <laughs> yeah. there's a it, it's like we, we always see with the Bruins like a player will play well on the third line so like when Riley Smith first came in he was playing third line right wing he had three or four good games and all of a sudden he's the first line right winger for the rest of the season <laughs> and they need to stop doing that when a guy starts playing well on the third line, keep him on the third line because that's why he's playing well Well, just to bring up Riley Smith again, I remember it was his contract year and he had a pretty bad slump. It was like 18 to 20 games of like nothing, if I remember. And then he went on a little bit of a hot streak, and then the Bruins gave him his extension. And that's yeah. just a bad trend. <laughs> I think the Bruins have to stop doing that. And nothing against you Chris see, Kelly. Like, yeah, but, uh, you, see, you see the whole... Yeah, just like one little bit. Like, as soon as there's a good bit, that's like, right, you deserve getting <laughs> paid for that. Exactly. I mean, I'm all for loyalty, but at the same time, it's also a business, and you've got to be smart about it. I think it's why Chicago does so well every year, because, yeah, you know, hey, Dustin Bufflin, you're great for us. We just won the cup. Uh, You're traded. Andrew Ladd, you're great. You're traded. It's, you know, Boston, I'm not saying Boston should start trading away all their star players, but I think maybe you have to plan for the future and the present and not just oh, hey, you had a good year first last year, let's give you a big contract to say thank you. Yeah, and we can't go handing out any more big contracts because there's too many guys with big contracts already on the team. And no trades or movement clauses as well. Yeah, that, that's why we were talking the other week about um, should Marshan get seven years, seven million? That worries and, me uh, because of his age. Yeah. I want him signed badly, but... Yeah. Not only his age, but the fact that then there'll be what? Uh, you got like basically four forwards all in the top six earning six million plus for the next at least four years. Right. And then you've got a guy who can barely skate, 
playing as your top D-man who's earning well 4.2 for next season not yeah. the season coming the next one oh the salary so like, yeah I think it yeah. goes down to like 4.2 or it's 3 it's 4 million next year yeah yeah so you'll have him earning 4 million if he doesn't retire at the end of this season right like they need to start working out how to keep these guys on like the, especially a guy like Marchand is loyal like that that's his best quality that he is loyal to the Bruins it's not like he's gone out there and gone oh well I could play here or I could play there he wants right. to be a Bruin so like exploit that be like yeah, we'll give you yeah, yeah we'll give you four years at six million like don't don't just go out there and be like oh yeah seven years seven million yeah you get that well that's, to to me, the Marshan deal is is okay with me. I'm fine with that. All right, but what I don't like is the terms of the deal. Now, if you're gonna no movement him for two years and then limited trade for two, and then he's not there's no you know scenario after that. I'm fine with that. But if Fancy he's got looking. if he's got no movement all the way up through his whole career at the end of that contract, I have a problem with that because. You need to make players like that expendable if they're not going to produce. If he's not putting up the numbers, it's time to move him. And it's so you guys know, as diehard Bruins fans, how hard it is to move any player with a significant amount of money with a little bit of term and just not producing points. Yeah, but also, God forbid, we get another Mark Savard on our hands. Mm-hmm. There's and another you one. You re-sign him, he gets injured, you can't do anything. Right. Because we lost out on a player like Riley Smith for the fact that we wanted rid of Savard's contract. And I'm not saying Smith is some great player, but he's play, he played better than Jimmy Hayes did as a Bruin. He certainly did. So And as a Panther, for what it's worth. Well, well yeah, a lot better as a Panther. Yeah. But um, this, this that's another thing, like... Players going to another team and all of a sudden having like better offensive numbers does not mean that we gave up a superstar. It just means that they're playing in a different system, which is more offensive. Because no. I see so many people out there saying if we trade like Jimmy Hayes now and he goes ahead and puts up like twenty odd goals, like he he probably could do that at a different team if they played his style of play. Right. So, in in Boston, we play probably the worst style of hockey, but for the right, right reasons. Yeah, I mean, last because, year, was, they, they were able to put up points, but it's yeah. not a system where, you know, goal scorers thrive. It's never been a, goal, a system where goal scorers thrive. I mean, if you're talking about, like, back in the day, Esposito and Busick, yeah. But over the last 20 years, it's not a team where superstars can say, I'm going to be a superstar. It's a team where you're, you put the team first, and you have success with that, but yeah, it's not like a Tyler Sagan would score 37 goals in Boston and you know 100 points. It's he'd probably put up 37 goals and 70 points at the most. Yeah, but you well, also people complain that you you've not got that that guy who can score. Like I, I see people going, oh, there's, there's no superstars in Boston, and I'm thinking, Patrice right, Bergeron. so Sagan Sagan scored 37 goals. We have a guy called Marshand who scored 37 goals. Right. 
and then you look at Patrice Bergeron being the greatest two-way centre that's playing in this era of hockey like you've got a guy like Tuka Rask who yeah I, I know had a couple of iffy seasons but with a crappy decor and then a guy who who's won the Vesna before and then you've got a guy like David Krejci who's your second line centre and now David Backus is your third line like you got to realise how good this team actually is yeah, it's I mean, just uh, whether we play the right way yeah it's a matter of the style of play based on the uh, I guess the personnel that, we, that the Bruins have and it's a matter of just uh I mean, the defense, it's a lot of bottom-pairing defensemen being used in situations that they might not be able to thrive in. Like, nothing against Kevin Miller. I mean, I'm not the biggest Kevin Miller fan, but I also think he's better than he showed last year. And as the season went on, he kind of... I don't think he got... He did, you can't say he was good, but he got better because he started playing in lower-pressure situations. And that's yeah. what a bottom-pairing defenseman does. They're not supposed to go out there and play against, you know, the Jonathan Taves and the Patrick Kane's of the uh, the league. They're here to play against, you know, the fourth lines, the third lines, give the uh, the top lines some, I guess, just some time to breathe. Yeah, but the the thing that scares me with with the way that they settled that decor last year was you had a guy like Kevin Miller who was struggling to become a sturdy NHL defenseman, like he he, he hadn't prove that he was ready for a full-time job and then you stuck him with a guy like Joe Morrow who's also trying to prove that he's an NHL defenseman and a rookie at the same time so of course that pair was going to have troubles but well, then you... it, it's that's why I like Kevin Miller and Chara together because you've got a guy like Chara who's got kind of the brains to be able to do what he does and he's got the reach to be able to do what he does. He just can't skate as well anymore. But then you've got a guy like Kevin Miller who can skate quite well, can use his body, and it just it seems like you've got that pairing of Chara and Boychuk back without the skill of Boychuk. But see, instead of putting Kevin Miller up there with Chara, I would put Colin Miller. Because I think that, I mean, just what he's proven at the AHL level, which I know doesn't mean anything at the NHL level. Obviously, it's just a matter of if you can translate that success or not. But Colin Miller's skill set would be perfect for the Bruins' top pair alongside Chara because he's super quick. He could easily, you know, Chara can bail him out with his reach and with his defensive awareness. But if a puck gets past Chara and it's a two-on-one, with a guy like Colin Miller, you could hope that he could figure out angles fairly quickly enough. I'm not saying in the first, you know, five, ten games. Give him an addition of 20, 25 games. Let him figure out the NHL ice. Let him figure out the style of play, the speed. And uh, I think he can bail out Chara on a lot of those plays where it's just Chara's too, not slow, but he's just, he's too old to skate now. He can't yeah. back check the way he could. But if you got a quick young kid there skating back, I think it, the line would work perfectly. Oh, and and then was it, it, not only to mention the two shots. Oh. Sorry, Rob. The two, yeah. the two blasts that they have on the point is uh, scary enough, but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and you get the right hand and the left handed shot, it works perfectly. And just and the knowledge he would put on Miller. Yeah, stick them on opposite sides on the power play and exactly. watch those guys blast one time as at the net. <laughs> yeah, I'd be scared if I was that goalie. All right. It, you look at look at Colin Miller's first goal in the NHL, and uh, 
that was a one-timer set up by Tory Krug, and the goalie didn't even move. Yeah, because you like, couldn't that's see how it. how hard a shot he had. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I do like Holland Miller. I just, I just don't want him to rush him and think he's a top pairing guy. I want him to like put up top pairing minutes and points and not succeed. Well, that's always the that's... issue in playing in a market like Boston yeah. or you know, the New Yorks, the Torontos, the Montreals of the world. You can be an okay player playing in a role that might be above what you're supposed to play in and you can just get reamed out for not being a star which is it's acceptable because Boston's there's been so much success in the city in terms of sports between the Red Sox the Patriots the Celtics the Bruins it's hard to not have high expectations but at the yeah. same time there needs to be realistic expectations set on players and and if you guys uh, saw the recent poll that was out on a lot of the websites about uh, the rankings of the sports I mean, the mm -hmm. Bruins are taking a beating. Like, like I mean, it's really sad when you're pretty much ranked right near the, the, the soccer team, the New England Revolution. Revolution. Yeah, it's, it's not good times right now for for Bees fans. And I mean, not too long ago, there's a million people at the uh, the Stanley Cup parade. Yeah, and 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 at that time, Brandon, the the, the numbers were more. You know, Patriots, Bruins, Red Sox, Revolution, Celtics, or, or you know what I mean. Right, so. it wasn't. Uh, I mean, it goes in waves with whoever's having good seasons and bad seasons. So I'm not overly worried about it. But you're right. Like to think five years ago, you thought this team could be a contender for the next five to ten years if they play their cards right. Yep. And it's almost as if they just folded a full house. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we're talking to Brandon Share Cohen from the HockeyWriters.com and CausewayCrowd.com, and um, I, Brandon, I'd like to get your uh, your expectations for the upcoming season. Uh, we did talk about the moves. We did talk about the defense. Now let's realistically have a have a conversation about um, where you see this team in the upcoming season, and uh, and and ultimately, can we break the ice and make the playoffs? You're listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. You can catch our show on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel, available at thehockeywriters.com. I don't think it's really in the Bruins' hand. I think the Bruins in the last two years have been so close to the playoffs and they've just narrowly missed it. I mean, obviously, they've been in the last playoff spot, uh, like the last uh, wildcard spot. They've missed it by, what, one or two points both times. Um, you've got teams ahead of the Bruins, like the Lightning, the Red Wings, uh, even the Senators. I mean, they're building a team there. I don't know how well they're going to play next year, but they're, they're definitely in the conversation. Um... The Montreal Canadiens, I'm not sure how they're going to play next year. They could be a bottom five team, or they could have just enough grit and carry price to put into the playoffs. But if the Bruins play the way they played last year, I don't think they're making the playoffs. How about you, Rob? Uh, technically, last season we missed out because of a rule change as well. Because didn't we have more, more points than one of the other wildcard teams? Yeah. But they changed it, so it was a because there was a new rule set in place we were tired or something uh, yeah but uh, I'm hoping if we get to the deadline and we're out of the playoff picture even if it's just like by a few points we sell some guys on and we go for a lower down pick My... at the same time I don't want to get rid of guys who are useful I want to get rid of guys that we don't need 
like Kevin Miller and like Adam McQuaid, guys that are replaceable right. on the free agent market. Because like this season, you could have got rid of a guy like Adam McQuaid, and with his cap it, you could have got a guy like Jason Demers who brings a whole different skill set in for pretty much the same price. And my so, my expectation. Uh, what? Uh, well, yeah, I'm. I'm just. I just think, like I said, if we're not in the playoff picture by the deadline, I think we should just sell up and try and hit as low down a pick as possible. Okay, but then what if, for example, the Bruins are having? They have a horrible start to the season. It's just a bad start, but then they rally and we're tenth, ninth, whatever place it is. We're right outside the playoff picture, but we're on, I don't know, we've won seven of the last ten. Do you still want to Oh, yeah, then go for it. No, no, go for it in that case, but I mean... If things don't look good by the deadline, just... Yeah, I mean, like... Yeah, say you're, like, say you've won four of ten, like, the ten games before the deadline, and you, say, six points out of the race, sell it. Right. And just looking at the standings. It did not look good all year. Yeah. Um, Detroit finished with 93 points, so they finished with the exact same amount of points as the Bruins, but uh, I guess just based on tiebreakers, and they had, I guess, just the fact that they had less losses. They had less win, one less win, but uh, also one less loss, and they got two more overtime losses than us. I guess that's just the, how the, uh, the wildcard picture broke down. But yeah, both wildcard teams came from the Metropolitan. Yeah, so my expectations, um, I, I mean, I think I'm going to go three for three here and say that um, I'm not overly concerned that this team has gotten better. They made some moves to fill the gaps, uh, and I, I just don't think that the moves on paper right now are significant enough of to make them uh, make me call a playoff team. It's going to be one of those um, it remains to be seen situations. Um, I just... I hope it doesn't come down to like last year that in the final ten games you only needed a 500 record to get in the playoffs, and you know that you blew that. So, I, I'm, kind of a you know, a person that just I see situations and if it doesn't get better, I'm not gonna jump on and just say you know the the Bruins are gonna be a Stanley Cup contender because it's just you don't see the moves, you don't see the progression in the office or the the Aggressiveness, because you're a salary cap team and, and you're hindered by a lot of the stuff. But um, if there were more moves, especially to the defense, I mean, if they really got a, a, a standout defenseman that's gonna that has the capabilities of changing this whole core, you know, I might say yeah. But as of right now, nothing. Well, that's the thing. Like there were moves. There were moves with. I mean, David Backus. You've got Nash coming in. Uh, you've got the buyout of Seidenberg. They're all those are all very good moves. I mean, the backus one is left to be uh, determined. I think it was a good deal. The uh, the term concerns me, but we'll see. But like but you, you said, the defense, you didn't replace anybody. They didn't replace. Yeah, you, you bought you bought you bought Seidenberg out, and you used that money to get on another year of of, um, of John Michael Lyles. That's what I was gonna say. Like there was moves, but there were no moves to the one area of concern. Exactly. The Bruins were like what a top five, top three offense last year. Top five. And you got guys. Yeah, you got Bergeron, you got Marshan, you got even Krejci. You've got uh, you've got players that can play, 
two-way hockey. That's not your concern. You've got Tuka Rask, whether people love him or hate him. He's still uh, a top-tier goalie, in my mind at least. And uh, if you would have just fixed the defense a little bit, you know, add a guy. I know that the cost was high. We all, we've heard that, you know, that tune sung over and over and over again. But just make any effort, even just bringing in a free agent defenseman to at least compete. I don't know. I just, I feel like the defense wasn't touched enough. And I mean, if, if Claude Julian wants to start playing guys like Colin Miller and Joe Morrow, that would be fine because Morrow showed a lot of promise last year. So maybe they are making room for the young kids. But I don't understand so. re-signing Miller, uh, Kevin Miller. And I don't understand re-signing Lyles if you're not going to play the young kids and just play those guys anyway. Right. Well, there's, you've got to think as well. Like We're coming up to camp now, and there's going to be some of the younger D-men invited to camp and pre-season and all that stuff. But at the same time, you've already got, you've also got a couple of RFAs that haven't signed that could still be available. Uh, you got, you could get through camp and realize that none of the younger ones are going to make it anywhere near the NHL. Then you go for a trade. So it, it's not done yet. Like I'm not, like I'm not saying there's going to be a blockbuster trade next week, but there's the it's chance obvious. of, yeah, there's. There's options available to have a look at this team once it gets to camp and realise that the decor is not going to work and then turn around and maybe... Like, I've been saying, Kevin Miller on the right team who have the right amount of salary space will be a perfect bottom pairing for him. So, that, that his contract isn't that ugly like how everyone's made it out to be. I think he could be a sturdy player for someone, so some team might want him as part of a package deal. I don't know, but at the same time, another thing that came out this week is we are getting the second round 2017 pick from Oilers. Right, for Pichirelli. signing. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be the last, this is the last year on that another too. Another piece. They're not, the so, NHL isn't doing that anymore. So that's the last. That's that's an extra piece, yeah. right? That you could put in a trade bit. So, the you got to think as well. There's all like every team is now looking at their roster and going, is it right, or do we need to move some guys? And do you look at Edmonton? Griber's going to be gone. It looks like Griber's going from Edmonton, which mm -hmm. I know that's like Griber's not a fix for the Bruins. Like in no way possible is he going to come in and just play top minutes but at the same time you could probably get rid of a guy like Adam McQuaid who has like an injury every season and isn't looking that great on the ice and bring in a guy like Grimer for cheap and play him half of the season and a rookie the other half so I don't know there's possibilities to fix the decor it's just whether they're actually going to bother going out and doing it. Because Sweeney's job's on the line. And does he really want to mess about with this squad and anger like anyone in charge? I don't know. 
Well, to me, it's the obvious thing that you, you if you can't do player to player in a in a trade, um, and a lot of teams out there are probably looking at the the prospect roster and they they're like, you know, if, if we want to make this deal, this player is going to be involved. And I'm really not sure this organization wants to fool around with their future. Well, no, because there's a lot of good pieces. Like I can name a ton of players that I'm very high on in our prospect uh, pool. Pretty much the entire 2015 draft. I think that was a fantastic draft. Um, last, this, the one that just passed, the 2016 draft. I like McAvoy a lot. Uh, Lingering, I'm a fan of, but other than that, I'm not. I wasn't too high on any of the prospects. Not that I don't like them. They just weren't high on my list. Yep. Um, then you've got Pasternak. You've got you know Donato, Heinen, Bjork. You've got some good prospects coming up. And you've got obviously Greslick. Uh, Ogara, you've got a lot of players in the system that could step up, but it's just not their time now. And I'm glad they're not rushing them. Like, it's two years of missed playoffs, and you're not hearing, like, well, Brandon Carlo needs to play this year, and Greslick needs to play this year, and Ogara needs to play this year. People at least are being patient and realizing, yeah, they're still kids and they still need to develop. And if you ruin that or if you trade them away, then you really have nothing. Uh, uh, yeah. All right, so. Now that we're talking a little bit about prospects, I, I have a question for you both. And uh, if there's a, an available spot, at, let's let's just say a forward first. Let's just theoretically say there's a right wing spot or, or or any forward position. Who would you like to see get that shot? Seth Griffith. I'm in on Griffith too. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna say Griffith. There's three guys that I like. Oh, I get a couple more, too. Me, too. Like, Danton Heinen. Like, yeah. I was going to say Danton Heinen for left wing, Griffith for right wing, and Austin Zarnick for center. Yeah. They're the three guys that, if there's an injury or whatever, I want to see him in a spot straight away. I'm real I also like to know how far Sinitian is, too. Well, he's... Mm. Uh, I, I, I'm good on... I've been following Sinitian very, very closely. Uh, and, and for the people that don't know, Zachary was uh, picked in the 2015 uh, NHL draft pick. NHL draft. 15th overall. Yeah, 15th overall. Um, and he plays for the uh, Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds of the Ontario Hockey League. And I've been following him uh, even before he was a Bruin. So um, his first year, uh, fourth line minute, he got 26 goals. Then he drops up to a, a top six uh, role. And he scores uh, forty, I believe, forty-six. I his his progression is is going very well, and I, I see I I'd like to see him have a very. I'm going to be at the Bruins rookie camp and the Bruins training camp this year, and I'm very excited to see him play because he did not make it to the development camp, which I was there for four days because he had uh, an illness with mono. He's my. I want to see him really produce, and I, I read in, uh, in an article um, by Emily Benjamin, who used to work for the Bruins and now works for NHL.com, uh, went to Sault Ste. Marie and had a conversation with him, and he is, he is mind-struck on working hard over this summer, and his goal is to make the Bruins this year. Whether it happens or not, I'd rather see him stay one more year in the, in, with, the, with the Greyhounds in the OHL and then either make the Bruins after, after next season or start off in the, in the AHL with the Providence Bruins and then 
transfer your way into the NHL roster. But regardless, I see his progression moving up. Uh, I believe he could probably score 50 goals this year. I don't know that he needs to play in the O again this year, though. Yes, he I has think... to. If he doesn't make the NHL, he has to go back. No, that's what I'm saying. If, if he doesn't, I mean, if he produces well enough, I think he could uh, actually steal that job. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brandon. I, I, I just took that totally wrong. No, no, it's okay. I mean, he's 19, so yeah, yeah. based on the rules, uh, he would have to play back in the uh, in the CHL. But no, if he can steal a job, and it, it's really not out of the realm of possibilities, just given the right wing depth on the team, he could still be a solid fourth liner this year and then work his way up. But See, uh, I the, don't think he's going to make with, the NHL roster. With him, with him, I, I think the best spot for him on the team, and I know this is going to sound stupid, but it's next to Bergeron, like on that first line. Even this year? You have Bergeron out there. Yeah, if if he makes it this year, I'd put him with him for the main reason that Bergeron will cover him. Right. Like, defensively. So he... You're listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. You can catch our show on the Hockey Writers Podcast channel, available at thehockeywriters.com. You've got Bergeron and Marshawn to cover you, who are two of the best plus-minus players out there. So... I'd rather him be there than on the fourth line and doing something wrong and there being no cover. But also, he adds speed to that first line. And every time there's been speed added to that first line, they've produced. Mm-hmm. Like when Griffith first ca- first came in and played on that first line. Like, like teams, yeah, teams didn't know how to deal with them because as soon as like they go out and they think, right, I'm playing against Bergeron and Marshall, there's not a ton of speed, it's going to be more like grinded out hockey, and no. It's just all of a sudden you've got one guy streaking in behind the D and they're gone. So, I, I think he'd be good with them, and he brings he brings that same type of thing that they've usually had where you have kind of a guy who's more known for his shot on the right side. So, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to see him next to Bergeron as well, but I'm just thinking, just based on how Claude, uh, Claude Julien is, uh, has run a oh, system yeah. in the past, I think he'd be more of a fourth liner to start. But, I mean, if you do play him on the top of the line, you're talking about a guy who's he's got NHL size. He's 6'2", he's about 200 pounds, I think just under 200. Um, he's not afraid to go to the dirty areas of the ice. He goes to the front of the net. He'll he'll poke away at the uh, at the loose pucks in the in the crease. He's got a good shot. It's right-handed, so he's perfect for that. Um, so you put an NHL-sized player with a decent shot and with a willingness to, you know, play his role. I think he could very well succeed in the Bruins system if he's given the opportunity to. I'd I'd like to see that opportunity come in the front line too. Um, and I, I take away the the whole you know scenario with with Julian, but. Right. Um, I'd rather see him get a roster spot than a person like Tyler Randall. You know what I mean? I, I'm not, I, you know, I was all about the toughness of hockey players and this and that, but, uh, you know, it's time to adjust to what the league is going. It's going faster. The the, the, the enforcer is, is slowly, you know, dissipating. So I want to see four lines of speed and depth, and I don't believe a player like Tyler Randall is, is where... I want to see this team going forward. 
Um, I believe he's a signing. The Randall signing over the summer was uh, one that is uh, a signing to make more uh, time for people to prospects to slowly work themselves in. I agree. Is Randall not um, classed more of a goal scorer now after them two magical games? Yeah, I know. His, uh, his was it his Corsi went nuts. Yeah, because he scored two goals on three shots. Yeah. A lot of people who weren't Bruins fans all of a sudden started tweeting about who is this Tyler Randall? I know. Without it... even looking at him and realizing that he's huge and yeah. just scary, thinking he's the next Alexander Ovechkin. But yeah. No. And his and his fantasy his fantasy hockey numbers went up for those people that don't pay attention at all, and they were picking him. And then a week later, it's like, oh, yeah. why did I do this? <laughs> yeah, why did I pick a guy who Claude Julian doesn't want to use, and he's just going to be on the bench the entire season? And then even then, um, while Randall is definitely tougher than Sinitian, Sinitian's no pushover either. No. You're talking about like, I mean, not to bring up you know sour memories, but Brett Connolly. He's not a pushover either, and he had a lot of success on the Bergeron Marchand line. Maybe not in terms of points, but just as a player, he was very solid. Yeah. So as long as you don't hinder that line, as long as you can contribute where you can, I think Sinitian would contribute better than uh, than Connolly. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and Connolly was a sniper back in his junior days, even in the AHL. But uh, yeah. knowing that he isn't now, I think you know just. With a blank slate, Sinitian could step up there, be a decently physical force who can put up points. That might be that future right wing uh, player on that line, assuming that Marchand is still there after this year. Well, we got and we got about ten minutes left to go. That, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Assuming that Bacchus doesn't take that right wing spot as well. Right, which might be better this year, just because of the experience, the play style. Yeah. But uh, yeah, in the future. Yeah, there wasn't enough. Uh, I I was saying last year all season that there wasn't enough of a presence in front of the net. We played like a kind of a like uh, rotation system, and we didn't. There wasn't really that many guys in front of the net. It was more the only guy that I really saw screening most of the plays was Bergeron, and he screens in the high slot, not low down. So. And then even when you it's go to the power play, like, like well, Erickson, yeah, he was screening just uh, in the power like play. He would stand yeah. there, but then by the end of the year, you could see like he wasn't screening, I guess, a traditional screen. He was just hovering yeah. around the crease. So, yeah. again, it's not, it's not like when you have Chara standing in front of the net. Or who used to cover it in 2011? I'm trying to think. I remember none of the power plays, but they had a lot of big players who would just go to the front of the net and screen. I guess it could have just been anybody. But anyway, you have more of a traditional screen back then, and it works better than just having players, like you said, who constantly cycle. Yeah. It, it just it takes away a D-man down low. So it turns into a 2-on-2 down low instead of a 3-on-3. Three three. So, mm -hmm. And with guys like Bergeron and Marchand on a 2-on-2, two two, those guys have enough skill to get a shot on net and if you look at what Bacchus has done over the past two years for the Blues, I'd say 75% of his goals have come from either tip-ins or 
screening the goalie and picking up a rebound. So right. it's the perfect position for him to be in front of that net all the time. So well, I hope they do. Alright, uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left to go, but I wanted to get both of your opinions on the goaltending, speaking of the net. Um, how are your expectations for Tuka Rask this year? Um, do you guys believe that he's uh, he's capable of turning this around? And how about his, his uh, backup, which is a new backup, but returning backup, uh, to the Boston Bruins organization and Anton Hudobin? I like the signing a lot. Um... I was a big fan of Hidobin before he left for Carolina at the time. I believe it was him and Rask both waiting for their contracts, and instead of just waiting, uh, Hidobin ended up signing with Carolina, I guess in hopes of having a starting job. But then Rask signed his big contract. But the year before that, like Rask got his big contract because he was just a, a stud player. And I think that has a lot to do with having the confidence of knowing, hey, I've got this other guy who will take the games when I'm not playing. And it, Rask is a competitor. Regardless of how people want to say, you know, he missed games because he was sick, both in the Olympics and in the NHL, or you know, he doesn't seem to be as committed as he once was. He's a he's a really big competitor and he likes to play. And when you've got players that you're not super confident in the net, it's harder to say, hey, I'll take a day off so I can be, you know, fresh for the next five games. If you don't have a, a player like Hadobin who can take over for that one game and get you a win. So now that he knows, hey, this guy has experience in our system. This guy has experience behind me. I know he can get us wins. I can take this day off and be comfortable, relax this game, and then you know be fresh for the next week, week and a half. So, so I so, think it's a good move. So Brandon, you're confident. I'm very confident, but the issue again goes back to the defense. Yeah, it's always going to go back there. But I like what Rob said. <clears throat> I think it was John Shaker, the uh, the new GM of the Coyotes. He was saying defense isn't about defending. It's just about getting the puck to the forwards. And I think the Bruins have a lot of players that can do that now in you know Krug, Lyles, Colin Miller, and right. Joe Morrow. That fast transition. Exactly. Yeah. That first pass is so important. So if you do that and you make sure that you, you cover your angles properly, I think the year could be better in terms of uh, that first pass. But in terms of actual defensive play, I guess we'll see with those odd man rushes what Rask and Hedobin can do. But yeah, I'm hopeful. Rob? I'm always hopeful when it comes to the Bruins goaltending. I love our starting goaltender. I think he's the best thing that came in a trade in the past 10 years. Uh, yeah, I I just think he, he's going to do the whole 30 wins again. Uh, uh, he's going to show up a lot of fans. And then I, I love the way you put it, how he can be, be relaxed now that he's got a backup goaltender that he knows can win those games. Rob, you brought this up a couple. You brought this up a couple uh, podcasts ago when we talked about this and when the, and the yeah. signing. You really like the Kudobin, the Kudobin signing. Yeah, because not only are him and Rass friends, so it, it adds that factor to it that there'll be a compete level there uh, between friends. So that adds a special little something to the mix but at the same time like look at the amount of times that Rask has been called into games in relief and look how pissed off he is that he knows that he's not getting a day off like there was uh, was it the Subban one where he let three or four, three goals three in three goals was it on four six goals? shots yeah. yeah it was three saves and three straight goals 
Yeah, well, go back and watch that footage and yeah, watch it. When watch it his body language. Yeah, because his head drops. Oh, yeah. He's, he's like, are you, are you freaking sla- kidding me? Yeah, he slams his glove onto the floor to, and then goes down to pick his helmet up because he knew he, knew he was going to go in. And then he gives a big sigh and gets on the ice. And that, that to me, is... You can't have a goalie go in like that. Right. Cold and pissed off. And just in need of the time off. Never yeah, because, like, I've, I've played, like, double games before where I played on a Saturday or Sunday, and I'm only playing beer league-type hockey, and I am bruised and battered and dead by the end of it. So I can't imagine a guy who's just played 40 games in a couple of months and then he's got to go out there and do a double header because the other goal is not qualified enough to play one or two games. All right. Thank. Oh well, that's about it. We got. We only got about a couple minutes Definitely. left, so. Yeah. Um, I want to thank uh, Brandon Share Cohen. Uh, he's a hockey writer at the hockeywriters.com and a Bruins writer at the uh, CausewayCrowd.com. Uh, thank you so much, Brandon. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we really look forward to having you back again sometime soon. And uh, yeah, if, you, if, you like, if you'd like to take the opportunity and uh, explain where people can find you, uh, Twitter or anything else, here's your time. Uh, yeah, so like Mark uh, mentioned, I'm on Causeway Crowd. I'm a co-editor there, uh, The Hockey Writers. Uh, Twitter, at BShareCohen. Uh, I guess that's about it. Yeah. yeah. I'm he- glad to be here. Enjoyed the opportunity to talk with you guys about some Bruins hockey. Getting that look on, uh, I guess, the past few seasons and the future. It was, uh, it was good. No, yeah. Yeah, definitely a good show. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. Definitely. I was. I really look forward to our conversation about a week ago and leading up to this was uh, like a kid in the candy store because I actually do, I really enjoy your writing and what you have to offer. So this was uh, good. As And you're our second guest, so... We had Andrew Thompson on uh, um, a couple months ago from the uh, Causeway Crowd, too. I'm sure you're very familiar with Andrew. Yep, definitely. Yeah, so he was on. We're going to have him soon. He's got a pretty conflicting schedule, so we're working on getting him. And we're also working on getting a former player that played for the Bruins. I'm going to keep that a secret. And we are also looking at other writers in the in the Boston um, sports community to come on and talk hockey with us. So... Um, for uh, Brandon, uh, Rob, uh, we can you can find me Mark at thw black and gold. You can find Rob at Rob forty Bruins. Did I get it right this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah you got it right. About time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, again, we'd like to thank you all the supporters. Uh, like I said in the beginning of the show, we passed two thousand listens. Uh, keep going. We really appreciate it. Uh, we we can't do this every week without your support and uh, the support of the Hockey Writers, SoundCloud, and Apple iTunes. So for all of us, thank you very much for listening, and hopefully we'll be back next week with a, uh, another guest uh, or, uh, or, and or some more hockey talk. Take care, everybody, and thank you. Thanks. Take care. for tuning in to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Please join us next week for another discussion of Bruins hockey-related material. Yeah.